John Lim here. We're moving forward with episode 378. I'm super excited as we're continuing this writing community, writing series. I've got a returning guest, one of my favorite alumni uh, for moving forward, a good friend of mine as well, Fred Brandon. How are you today? I'm doing well, John. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I, we were just talking about the last time you were on the show, which was a couple of years ago. And now there's just been so much that you've done. It's incredible. Last time you were on, I mean, we talked about your journey on Twitter and uh, with Microsoft. Since then, you, you've become an expert in so many areas, including blockchain and cryptocurrency. And as we're going to focus on today, you've written two books. So I, I'm really excited to talk about it. But uh, Fred, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. So for our Moving Forward listeners, um, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and where you're from, and where you're located. Oh, definitely. So uh, I am from DC. Uh, I'm from Cleveland, but I live in DC now. So, um, but I have been in the tech industry for uh, roughly two decades and some change. So it's been it's been a, a little while. Uh, but I've done a, a little bit of everything, uh, as you mentioned. I had worked with, uh, you know, in the Microsoft space for a very long time, working with SharePoint and Office 365 and Azure and things of that sort. Um, but as of recent, I moved over into, you know, understanding the security side of things. So, mm -hmm. you know, going through cybersecurity, going through that part. Um, but then I started to learn a little bit more about Bitcoin. Um, and that led me down a whole nother path. Uh, yeah. Understanding that, you know, how cryptocurrency work and that it's, know, built on a blockchain. Uh, I knew all of it. You know, once I started down the cybersecurity road, I understood, I was like, oh, this is easy. I, I understand it real well. Um, so yeah, that kind of brought me to where I am now. Um, and, and hence why I wrote the book, uh, Adopting Blockchain and Cryptocurrency. That's great. Actually, you've written two books and, and I want to talk about both because um, they're so different and they're intended for very different audiences. So you wrote a, a children's book, isn't that right? Right, yeah, yeah, I wrote that. That was the first one. I actually wrote that uh, in 2008. Okay, oh wow, <laughs> and, okay, so a little while ago. Yeah, I wrote it in 2008, but I didn't release it until 2018. Okay, so, so it, sat on my, it sat on my shelf for 10 years, yeah. That's amazing. Well, well first of all, what is the name of the book? Uh, it is The Adventures of Misha, Misha's First Day at School. Uh, so it goes for the younger crowd, trying to help uh, yeah. kids with anxiety uh, when, when they're going to school for their very first day, not to know what to expect, all those type of things. So, you know, it's always that fear, you know, whether it's a fear of a first day at a job or first day at school. Um, sometimes we have these butterflies in our stomach just because sure. we don't know what to expect. Right? I, I still get those every <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> At least once a day. So I, right. that's awesome. But talk a little bit about it. So you wrote it in 2008. So what inspired you to write it? Did you always want to write this story? Did you have it in mind at the specific time? What was the, the story about writing the book in 2008? So um, that, that story, it goes pretty deep, right? So uh, I had a friend of mine who, um, who had, had a, she had a, mes a miscarriage. Oh, so okay. I wanted to make sure that her daughter was immortalized on paper, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, it's really about, you know, helping a friend through a tough time. But the problem was she took it really hard. So I, I kind of, I just let it sit on the shelf until I knew she would be okay for me to be able to release it. 
So I just stalled it out. And then once I knew that it was okay to release, which was, you know, 10 years later, um, and everything was fine. then. so, you know, it was, it was more about just helping a friend in a tough time. Oh, that's, that's an amazing story. And, and I really appreciate you sharing it. And what a great tribute, Fred. I, so I want to ask, has writing books, has that uh, been a lifelong aspiration or goal for you? Or is that something that came into your life more recently? Uh, yes and no. So, um, you know, when I was in school and, you know, high school and things of this sort, you know, I was always, you know, writing poetry and, you know, going to, you know, poetry slams and, you know, open mic night and all, all those type of things. So I, I, there was a totally different side of me that a lot of people don't really know about wow. um, where I was doing the, uh, I was doing the writing thing. So, um, you know, most of the people that know me, I'm the other side of the brain. I'm yeah, a math yeah. I'm a science guy, right? And I was never really, a, you know, I never considered myself a good writer at the time and because I was always focused on math and science. Okay. Um, so I'm like, oh, okay, uh, let me try my hand at this. And I really liked it. it you know, it gave me a, a chance to express myself as well. Um, so, you know, I started to do that. Like I said, I was doing uh, open mic nights and things of that sort. Um, so I, I always had it. You know, I've already I had this talent kind of like hidden inside of me. Um, but I just never, you know, I, I focused on, you know, math and science side. So did you just uh, in your throughout your career? I mean, obviously, uh, being involved in math and science and technology, did you do a lot of um, technical writing in your career? I, I imagine you must have. Uh, yes, uh, there's been a lot of different areas where there's going to be technical writing, making sure you're you're having some type of like user guide documentation for things that you create. Um, because just because, you know, it's not always that uh, if you build it, they will come or they right. will use it, right? <laughs> because if they don't know how to use it, it could be the best tool in the world. Um, but you want to make sure that you give them that user guide to be able to, you know, kind of sort through any of their questions that they may have. Or if you're onboarding new employees or things of that sort, that they can just go straight to this guide and say, hey, okay, this is easy. I can click here. I can click here and I can get my job done. Yeah, case in point. I mean, on our last conversation, you talked a lot about SharePoint, which I know we've talked about. I mean, it's something that you are a big fan of, but for new users, it can be a little bit intimidating. So I imagine having that user guide must have been very, uh, very helpful for a lot of people onboarding. But let's talk about your creative side, because I'm, I'm learning this for the first time. I've known you for years. That's pretty incredible. So did you... Uh, write poetry and and your creative writing is this something that you just I, I know you mentioned you did some poetry open mic nights and poetry slams but did you uh, when did it occur to you that you wanted to formally publish any of your work um, you know I, I think like back in those back in those days it seems so like so long ago yeah um, but this is like Probably uh, 99, 2000, somewhere back in there when it was still back when Amazon was just for <laughs> buying books and didn't actually have a publishing wing. Exactly. Right. So um, one of the things that I would do is they would have like these little online uh, contests, you know, haiku contests and all type of things. And, you know, you could get, you know, published in so many different types of books if you want and all. So I tried my hand at some of those things. I, you know, I never seen the, you never really knew what the criteria was to win, right? Okay. <laughs> it was like, did you win? Did you not win? Are they publishing you? Is it more of a, uh, you have to pay to play type of thing? And there were so many question marks. I'm like, okay, well, 
I'm just going to start keeping like some of these things for myself, you know, or, you know, going to you know, different events or things like that. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to publish it online. I, I just kind of gave that, I gave that up for a while. Um, and then, you know, you know, comes 2008, 2018, when it, you know, I just like, okay, I want to actually get out there. You know, right, because, right. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk about that. I mean, we'll, we'll start with your children's book. So I know that uh, out of respect for your friend, you, you wanted to give some time for that. And uh, I, I love that you're sharing that uh, with, with our listeners today. But when it came time to publish it in 2018, uh, I mean, what did that entail? Did you have to revise it at all? Did, was it just, you know, did you just have it on your hard drive or did you have like a printout? I'm, I'm curious, like what form was it in when, you, when it was time to, to brush that off and, and get it out there? Right. So now, you, you know what I had? It was both. I had it. I had it on my hard drive. I had actually printed that out um, because I actually gave it to her. You know, I printed it out, kind of, okay. kind of like did the uh, the cheap version, kind of like stapled all the papers <laughs> together. And it was like, hey, look, this is just a rough draft. You know, it's just so you have something to read. You know, trying to help you through it, right? Um, but you know, that was just how it was. So I had, you know, I had a couple of different copies printed out uh, just for myself, so you know, I could you know, kind of conceptualize what I wanted to do. Um, and then, you know, once I got into that, that point, you know, I had to go and, you know, try to look for illustrators and things that right. to try to work with that and say, okay, this is my vision. This is what I want the little girl to do. I want her to you know, have these kind of, you know, features where she's either crying or doing whatever, because, you know, she's just distraught. Because um, you know she doesn't really know what's going on, so I had to make sure I worked with the illustrator to uh, to get that you know capture what I wanted to do. Well, well, let's talk about this because you're actually the first author I'm ha I have on this series who's done a children's book, and that requires a whole different level with illustration. So, how did that work when you wrote the book in 2008? Uh, did you focus just on the story and the text or did you have, uh, I mean, where did you have rough sketches or, you know, I'm not much of an artist, but I, I would imagine you would at least maybe do a rough storyboard. So I would, I would love to know what the process was of, you know, with the illustrations, did you have it already in mind or is that something you, you decided to work later on with an artist? So I, I really made it very descriptive um, because I wanted to make sure that the audience that I was going for, you know, four or five, six-year-olds, you know, people who are just going into either preschool, kindergarten types of area, that they're very descriptive, you know, so right. once you tell them, hey, uh, Misha was sitting at this red table playing with blocks, I mean, it's very descriptive as you read it, right, so, you know, some of the things that I wrote, I made sure that it, it was very descriptive in nature, and at the same time, the children would be able to see what they're reading, and, you know, so they can conceptualize it at the same time they're, they're hearing the words. So it was more, it was a little more of that than actually rough sketching everything out. But uh, like every page, you know, I wanted to make sure that um, there were like, you know, certain like cues that would give my illustrator, you know, what I was really trying to get across. Right. So there's a lot of, it was very, it was comedic. It was, you know, kind of, it was, a, it was a lot of different things rolled up in one, uh, you know, not just the, uh, anxiety aspect of it. Did you, in your research, did you look at other children's books as a reference? Uh, I'm curious because there's, 
there's different specs that go with children's books as opposed to other types of books, obviously like the word to picture ratio, the length, the size and all that. Did you, did you um, go to a bookstore and, and flip through a couple of children's books? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I, I've always kind of just like read, you know, yeah. you know, anything. I read anything. Kids books, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Everything. Right. So, and you know, just because I read a lot, uh, you know, I'm able to just kind of try to like change my brain a little bit. You know, I have okay, to be yeah. like, I have to kind of morph myself into a kid to, to think how a, a kid would think or what they would want to see or what they would want to, you know, so, you know, going to read things like, you know, Good Night Moon and things of those kind mm -hmm. of things, you just kind of understand, all right, what should I do? What should I go a certain route where it's very descriptive, uh, where you're seeing, you know, cows and socks and <laughs> beds and all, all these different things that, um, that's really descriptive so they can see so they can actually see something when they read these words along or their parents are reading it to them so you want to be able to depending on you know what age group is actually uh, taking this in they want it you want to be able to make it so descriptive that you kind of use your mind's eye to uh, to kind of conceptualize what's being said. And also, I love what you're sharing that you get into the eyes of your audience. So as you're reading maybe other books in the same genre, you get into the mindset of your reader. Um, so let's talk about the illustration process. Did you, um, how did you go about finding an illustrator for the book? Did you use a source like Fiverr or Upwork? Did you go to a friend? What was your process in finding an artist? Yeah, I went to a friend. Uh, okay. one, of, one of my friends, uh, she runs a, a bookstore, an online bookstore. Mm -hmm. And so she has a lot of contacts, whether they're uh, publishers, you know, illustrators, any of those type of things. So I just knew someone who was in the book industry uh, and they referred me to someone. So it, it kind of worked out uh, because there was a lot of different things. First time publishing, I had no clue. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into, right? you know. Um, it's a little bit easier now. Um, yeah, yeah, your second I, book. Yeah, it's like, I'm like, oh yeah, this is easy. I can start my own publishing company now, right? So. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, considering everything you've done, but I, I do want to ask, so for the children's book, did you end up self-publishing or did you go traditional or hybrid? What was, what was the was, mode? It was, that... it was hybrid. It was hybrid. hybrid. So yeah, it was more because I used a publisher, you know, someone that I knew who was already a publisher, I had help. Okay. Um, with, you know, but at the same time, it was still technically a self-published through like KDP type of, you know, so it was kind of like a walkthrough to try to help me to understand exactly the process, what I need, really need to go through when I, when I get to that point. So after I, after I saw it and understood it, then book two, I, I could just go through and do everything else. Well, let, let's talk about that. Also for our listeners who may not be familiar, can you just briefly define what a hybrid publisher is. I mean, I think most people are familiar with traditional publishing houses and many are familiar with self-publishing, but there's this in-between world of hybrid publishing, which has become very popular. Can you share with our listeners exactly what that is? Yeah, so I, I think it's, it's all about uh, reaching out to someone who's in that space, mm -hmm. uh, understanding that they are a publisher and they, they may not necessarily be one of those big names that everyone knows that's going to sit there and and pretty much do everything for you, right? They're not going to market your book for you. They're right. Not those type of things. So it's more of okay, you have someone who understands the process, but at the same time, they can uh, coach you through uh, processes like uh, KDP or Ingram Spark or something like that to make sure that yeah, you're able to curate everything yourself 
you're able to make sure that you have all of those you know, key pieces in place to say, okay, I can do this, I can do this. Uh, I can I can maintain my publishing without giving up the firm, you know, that type right, of thing. Right, and, and right, those the, are so the right. Those are areas where you have to understand uh, when you're getting into book publishing as well. Well, also, so let's talk about transitioning from your first book to your second one. So uh, for our listeners, very different book, very different audience. Uh, again, what is the name of your second book, which is more recently come out? Yes, it's the Adopting Blockchain and Cryptocurrency, Embracing a Digital Future. And uh, when did you start writing this one and what inspired you to write it? I, I wrote it early, early during the pandemic. So early oh, part yeah, of yeah. 2020, right? 20. <laughs> so uh, getting it getting everything done. And I think uh, the gift and the curse that was 2020, right? Yeah. It allowed you to do a lot of different things. You know, you're not really going out. You're not really doing a lot of things. So now you have time. You know, it's like that um, uh, Burgess Meredith in, in Twilight Zone. Like, oh, gosh, yeah. Had time, yeah right? The classic episode. It's the one where um, all he wants is time. It's like enough time to read, right? And, exactly. It's, it's yeah. that. So now you have time to do everything, right? So I was like, yeah. oh. Okay, so now um, some of the things, because we're so you know, caught up in the hustle of bustle of life, um, and now we just, everyone had to stop. We had to pause. We had to do certain things to pivot. Um, so uh, being able to pivot, you know, get a chance to like, gather my thoughts and things of that sort. You know, I had already been in the space for you know, three years or so. Mm -hmm. I got in right about 2017. So I already knew a lot. I just never really verbalized it on paper. Um, to a point, you know, I would go and speak at different events, but at the same time, it wasn't the same as actually having a published book. So, did you know that you wanted to put your knowledge and skills into a book for this particular topic? It is such a, a prolific topic now, and every it seems like everyone is talking about it. Um, did you have it in mind from early on that you wanted to eventually write a book on this? Not really. Um, okay. I, I think um, one of the reasons that I did write it is because well, I like to get, I like to call it, I made it a technical book for non-technical people. Um, oh, okay. So there are a lot of different ways that you can go and you can read a lot of these great books that's out there on blockchain and you're going to come out with your eyes glazed. Right? You're not really <laughs> going to know. It's like, what did I just read? <laughs> I'm like, I still don't understand the words that's coming out of this book. So yeah. you're like, okay, I really want to figure this out. And I want to be able to, you know, you know, digest everything and then give it to, you know, someone that's, you know, I don't care if they're, you know, six or 66, they're able to understand um, about blockchain and crypto. In fact, I wanted to ask you now that you, you mentioned that, I, I think it's really interesting because you started out with a children's book, which is, you know, very descriptive and your process was very descriptive. Did you find that that, that first experience helped you write the second book, even though they're completely different topics and different audiences? Uh, yes, yes, for the most part, because I mean, because you have, because this is an intricate detailed uh, technology and a lot of people are, you know, we don't even understand how email works, but when everyone uses it, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. like I, I just I know when I hit send, it, it, push it, in, it goes, magically it goes whatever, right? to where it needs to go. Exactly. So being able to just get into the mindset of saying, okay, look, we need to be able to, you know, talk about this topic that is, you know, being utilized in a lot of different areas, right? It's not just 
of the cryptocurrency space where a lot of people think, oh, Bitcoin, blockchain is the same. It's, no, no, there's so many use cases for sure. blockchain technology. Sure. So I wanted to make sure that I got that point across to say, look, there are ways that we can use blockchain that is, you know, probably being missed on, you know, everyday person because they're not, you know, everyday person is not necessarily the technical person. They're just going to see what's being put out in front of them. So they might see, you know, these cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, you know, whatever, um, but they're not seeing like supply chain and logistics management and and, uh, you know, healthcare and finance and a lot of different ways that you can use blockchain technology. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I addressed, you know, those other hidden pieces um, that a lot of people probably won't, aren't really thinking about. And then, you know, tell them that it's, you know, not to be afraid of it because, you know, when you're, when you're in tech and it's a lot of people fear what they don't understand, right? So yeah. when it gets to that point to say, well, I'm just going to wait until the masses adopt it or I'm forced to use it, and then I'll use it that way, right? You're like no one, there was, you know, a hundred people in the world that knew how to uh, use Zoom before 2020. Right, and now right. Like then all of a sudden everyone is using it. We're like Zoom masters, right? So, you know, but those type of things, because we didn't really have to use it, we were probably not going to really learn about it until we have to. So I wanted to make sure you, you make that, uh, that knowledge accessible, and, and able for, and very digestible for everyone to understand. How long did it take you to write that second book? Um, it was months. It was months because I wanted to, even though it's not a very long read, I wanted to make sure that everything I, I did uh, came through and it was very understandable. Right? What, you know, because, go ahead. You no, know, no, go ahead. No, no, it's, it's only because there's so many like large terms and, and things of that where you're like, I don't know what a synchronous encryption is, <laughs> you know, I'm, no, nor should you have to, right? But at the same time, you have to understand that, you know, the, like the glossary section is going to be your best friend. That's a significant part of writing a book like this is, is the right. glossary of, of terms. I, I wanted to ask though, uh, you know, obviously the pandemic uh, shifted a lot of things for a lot of people schedule wise. Did you have a particular workflow for writing the book? Did you set a certain number of days, hours, uh, or word goals? What was your process for making sure you stayed on track and making sure that you, you got to your target? Yeah, it, it was um, sometimes you just need a, a, uh, a partner to be able to hold you to it. They got to hold your feet to the fire a little bit. And when you have that, when you have that person or people that's going to be like, look, um, yeah, is it done yet? Is it, you know, is, you know, I have editors, I have everything like, okay, I, I want this to be right. Does it, you know, does it sound right? Is it, you know, does it has a, have a nice flow to it? You know, all those type of things. So it's, you know, it's all about accountability. And sometimes you need that you know, those, uh, those people around you that's going to hold your you know, feet to the fire a little bit um, to make sure that you're, you know, you're getting what it needs to be done. Because otherwise you can easily get off track or you can just start doing something else or something yeah. like that and you can push it back. So you wanted to make, if you want to make sure you have, you know, those smart goals um, that you mm -hmm. actually have uh, some type of time attached to it where, you know, you want to be finished with it, you know, by a particular date. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to that, I wanted to ask, so for the for this book, did you also go with the hybrid publisher? Or did you go traditional or did you go self-published fully? Straight, straight self-published. Okay. <laughs> now, now, that, now that I know, 
um, it's, it's a lot easier. I, know, I wanted to like, ask because this is such a big topic and I, I think you probably could have had great success going traditional if you did the age inquiry. Was it, it sounds like it was a very deliberate choice. What made you decide I'm going to go self as opposed to traditional publish and, and maybe, uh, you know, get it out that way? Uh, I think it's all about control okay. um, at the end of the day. And you want to make sure that um, you're able to do the things that you want to do. Right. right. If, if, if you can't, if you can't control, I mean, we, we see it all the time in different uh, areas of art, whether it's music or movies or things of that sort. And when you have, uh, you know, when you have to stick to the script, you have to stick to the script and that they give you. So you have to really make sure that if you want to be in a place where you can, can control how it's put, how it's put out, whether you're going to run certain sales, whether you're going to go to different parts of the world, whether you're going to be able to, you know, publish it in different languages, anything you want, all of your creative control, uh, you might want to stick to doing it yourself. But um, not to say that you can't always do it that way traditionally, but there may be some a little bit more red tape. Sure. And, and with the self-publishing process, I mean, obviously for your first book, you needed to get a great illustrator. What were some of the key components that you needed to outsource or work with? Uh, did you work with an editor? Did you work with a, an illustrator? What were some of the other uh, moving parts of this book? So, yeah, I did have a couple of editors um, okay. on, on hand, and as well as I kind of outsourced the uh, the cover and the formatting and things of that. Okay. So, so some of those type of things, you just, it's just like easier to probably just go to five or four right. and just try to get those things taken care of. Um, but I, I definitely had editors to make sure that, you know, everything was, you know, gr grammatical and, and right. concise and make sure it had a nice quote to it as well. What was your process for finding an editor? I think for a lot of authors who want to self-publish, it's a very attractive option, but the editor part can be a bit of a mystery. So for our listeners, can you share some advice on what to look for? Well, A, where to look for an editor and B, <laughs> what are some of the qualities that you look for in, a, in an editor? Okay, so it helps when your brother is an editor. So it okay. kind of, it oh, kind of helps out. So if you need, you need any editing... I'm just playing. Uh, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know what? I, if, if your brother is, uh, if he, if he's for hire and a freelance yeah. editor, we can certainly put that in the right off. Yeah, but yeah. So it, it really helps. It's, it's all about your network, right? If yeah. You know yeah. people who are in that industry um, to be able to uh, to reach out to them. If that's what they do for a living, then you can start there. Um, yeah. You know, you you understand exactly what happens now. You know, at the same time, you even though they're friends or family, you may not be able to afford them, but they may be able to give you the, the tools and the advice and things that you needed um, to be able to, when you're selecting an editor or when you're selecting a publisher or something like that, where they give you those type of, you know, those keys to say, okay, look, this is what you need to do. These are like steps three, one through, one through three that you, you should start doing when you start, you know, your checklist to make sure the, the editor is going to be a good fit. And I, one of the things that you're sharing, which I think is, is really wonderful for our listeners is that if you do self-publish, yes, you've got the advantage that you've got complete creative control, but that doesn't mean you're going to be working in a silo. I mean, there are other people, illustrators, designers, editors, and I think you've shared two great avenues. Number one, look at your network and you're such a, you're a model for, um, 
being a great networker, being a great relationship builder. So it's no surprise that you had people already within your network that you could you could call on. But you also mentioned earlier Fiverr or Upwork, which I think are also great uh, resources for people who are looking for freelance editors. So um, just a little bit, can you share a little bit of what your process was of working with an editor? Did you do it chapter by chapter? Did you do it? Uh, did you turn it over to your brother after the the first draft was done? What was what was kind of the workflow that you, you established? Uh, yeah, so I had multiple editors. Um, okay. So I had to I had to make sure that it flowed in two different eyes, right? So you have one person who is probably a, uh, who writes a lot of books. I have a friend of mine, she writes a lot of books. And so she understands, you know, how everything should flow, right? And then I have a, you know, my brother, which is a professional editor that, you know, you know writes for magazines and newspapers and everything else. So I, I needed two different sets of eyes to make Thanks. sure that um, I, I want, I got everything across and everything was, uh, the way it should be. So it, it's definitely, you know, don't always put your all your eggs in one basket. Sometimes right. It's always good for like a, set, a second set of eyes because, you know, sometimes they, it may not be their forte. You know, sure. if I go to someone and I'm writing a technical book, but they're not a technical person, then it's like, ah, you know, everything could be gibberish. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And like, uh, no, <laughs> it doesn't. So sometimes you have to be able to yeah. um, just kind of like, um, you know, build a team, uh, as you right. mentioned. Um, it is. It is not. Um, if you kind of, if you think of a, um, uh, just like everything is uh, like a la carte, right? You can have like an a la carte system where you know you can have a you know a publisher for hire. You can have someone who's doing your your formatting. You know, someone who's doing your editing. So something like that. So if you have a good team around you, um, whether it's one person or five people. Um, you know, make sure that you you're able to reach out and do whatever you need to do to, to put out a quality book. Also, you're hitting on something that's really important for a book on a very specific and technical subject matter. Sometimes you might want what they call a separate content editor from your line editor, which your line editor will focus more on the grammar and the flow and then the content editor more on the subject matter. So absolutely, I think that that's another really big uh, point that you're hitting on. So let me ask you, you've written two books now, two different audiences, two different genres. <laughs> what would you say, having been through this process, was the biggest challenge of being a writer, either during the process or even after the publishing process? Um, I, I think it's all about mindset. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all about your mindset and, and everything goes through you, right? So whether it is at the beginning process where you're trying to figure out what you're going to write about, uh, as you're writing, make sure that you're holding yourself accountable to saying, okay, I'm going to write a chapter a month where I'm going to do whatever it is, however long this book is going to take you to write it. Make sure you set those goals for yourself and, and stick to it. And then after you get past the book, whereas you know, you're going to start thinking about uh, publishing and putting it out, um, now you have to start thinking about marketing and things like that sort, especially if you are, um, you know, putting, if you're self-publishing, right? So now you have to figure out, okay, how am I going to market it? Um, am I going to give myself some lead time? Am I going to be able to package this as, as some type of IP where I can sell courses around it or do speaking engagements around it or any of those type of things? So um, there's a lot of you in this, in this scenario where you have to make sure you hold yourself accountable and then how you're going to uh, utilize that book um, because you know 
sometimes as a writer, um, you're not really thinking that I'm gonna be a you know a Stephen King or something like that where I'm selling or you know you know writing like a, I'm selling like a billion books. Right? I'm not necessarily gonna get rich off of selling these books, right, but right. you're able to uh, package your content in certain ways um, where you're able to say, okay, look, I can utilize this book in a certain way um, instead of just saying, you know, I'm gonna get you know. 9.99 a million times. So, sure, you know, it's sure. Not, you know, it's no, I mean, two things that you're sharing uh, that, again, really important points. Number one, think holistically about how your book fits into your overall business or your goals. And I like what you're sharing that. Uh, and Suzanne Brown, who I had on earlier in the series, said the same thing, you know, have in mind, where does the book fit in your larger picture? You know, and, and I love that you're, you're mentioning things like courses and, and speaking engagements. The other thing that I think is super important, which is kind of a, a, a continual process, even once you've hit publish, is the marketing part of it. Just letting people know that you have this book. If, I, if you don't mind my mentioning, one of the things that you did, which I remember from social media, it still is kind of burned into my brain, was that when you published your children's book, you actually went to a couple of um, uh, book conventions, right? I think that was a really cool thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just kind of pounding the pavement, going to venues and finding those opportunities. Can, can you share a little bit of what that was like? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, uh, it's always about uh, going where the people are, right? So you, you have to understand where they are. So uh, if you're going to some of these book conferences or things of that sort, or if it's going to be a, you know, some type of like, uh, you know, kids event, right? In that, in that element. So now I'm going to these kids events, you know, putting up a, a table and making sure that I'm, you know, signing autographs and, you know, you know, taking pictures and things of that sort. So you're, you know, you're out there. You have to make sure that as you're marketing, um, that you're a visible, you're, you're a visible person, and, and and your content is visible as well. Um, because you can write the greatest book, but if no one knows about, no it, one knows about it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's collecting dust on the back. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because even with a lot of traditionally published books, you still have to do a lot of it. You still have to be very active either on social media or in person promoting it. So uh, for our listeners, many of whom may, may be thinking about writing a book this year, might be one of their big goals. Uh, what advice do you have? Uh, what pointers, having written two books on two very different uh, genres and uh, reader groups, uh, what advice do you have for our listeners on getting started? just start stop mm. stop overthinking um, because there's that's that's the number one killer yeah um, is is overthinking thinking it might not be good enough thinking it might there are libraries and libraries and libraries of books right you know and people need to know what you have in your brain right you know there are so many you have stories that's, that's never been told um so make sure whatever it is you you get out there and you you, you put it out there you put it on paper you share it with the world um, and, uh, yeah, what you have to say matters. So just make sure you always, uh, remember. And, uh, for our listeners, I love that advice for our listeners. Can you remind them one more time, the name of, uh, the names of both of your books and where they're uh, yeah. available? Okay, sure. Um, the adventures of Misha, Misha's first day at school. And, uh, which is also available on adventuresofmisha.com as well as Amazon and everywhere books are sold as well as adopting blockchain and cryptocurrency, embracing a digital future, 
uh, which is also, uh, you can find that at adoptinblockchain.com. Uh, you can also find that at adoptinblockchain.in. So it's still, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, that one is uh, just the ebook only, uh, but I'm making sure that those are going to be available in different languages, um, as well as, um, you know, anywhere books are sold. So Barnes and Noble, Walmart, all of, you know, anywhere they have it, they, uh, you should be able to find it. Awesome. We're going to have both of those linked in the write-up. Fred, where can our listeners find you and connect with you? I am on social media uh, pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, at IMFBrandon. Um, that's probably the easiest place to find me. Um, FredBrandon.info is my website. Um, so you can go and, and pretty much go and find out uh, a lot of things that I have going on. Um, there's so many, so many different things, especially with uh, around blockchain and crypto that I'm doing right now. So um, just make sure that you go in and check that out. I have a couple of speaking events coming up. So make sure you check the page. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll have all of that linked in the write up and uh, moving forward listeners, you've gotten pretty much an entire course from Fred in the last <laughs> half hour. I mean, these are some incredible uh, points and and I, I really appreciate it. And we'll have all of this in the write-up uh, for episode 378 as part of our writing series at bemovingforward.com. Fred, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come back, update us all on what you've been doing and to share your incredible writing journey and some incredible tips for our listeners. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You can find the write-up for today's episode at bemovingforward.com. The views expressed by any featured guests are not necessarily those of the host, the program, or affiliates. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and bemovingforward.com. All rights reserved.